Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm Lance Armstrong, your host each and every week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Hey, if uh, if any of you all are curious about uh, how we came up with the name Forward for this podcast, the Forward Podcast, uh, here's here's the reason. And if you're not curious, you you got to hold tight. You're going to hear it anyways. Um, an old buddy of mine that lives in Santa Barbara uh, that I used to ride with a lot, uh, still a great friend, Dave Latiri, has a small bike shop there called Fast Track. Uh, if you're ever in town, go check out his shop. It's really cool. Uh, whenever he, we would go ride together, you'd come to an intersection, right, like we all do, either on a bike or in a car or running or walking or whatever. And you can either go left or right. Or most people say straight. And Latiri, he just, he refused to say straight. It was always forward. Forward, never straight. And so I just thought that was classic. Um, so I poached it from him. So Dave, thank you. It, uh, it's not only a, a, what we call a we do-ism. It is, uh, I poached it again, double poached for the, for the name of the podcast. Forward, never straight. Uh bunch of stuff going on here in my world uh, before I get to our uh, our guest this week. Uh, we have decided, me, myself, George Hincapie, Christian Vandeveld, and Dylan Casey, we've decided to sign up for the 24 Hours of Old Pueblo. Never done anything like that before. Um, mountain bike event. And uh, we are all excited and a little freaked out that we'll have to ride in the middle of the night. Um, and we're certainly not going to be uh, contending for any victories, but we're looking forward to it, looking forward to having a good time uh, meeting the other racers. That's in like late February. Uh, speaking of events too, uh, we're we're in full full force here, uh, reorganizing and, and, and uh, getting ready to launch or to go into year two of the We Do 50 in Aspen. So if, uh, I think it's last year it was on my birthday, September 18th. And so I think this year is on the 17th of September. So if anybody, just stay tuned. We'll keep you posted. Um, small field, uh, killer route. For those of you who were there last year, um, you remember, uh, this year's route will be basically the same thing. So the We Do 50 in September. Hey, lastly, before I get to my guest this week, which, by the way, is Bob Schneider, um, who's a, a local, locally-based musician here in Austin, but tours really all over the world, singer-songwriter, been at it for a long, long time. Guy's a trip. Uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. He actually plays a few songs, tells some great stories. Uh, the best and the most memorable for me is probably surviving a plane crash and what that was like for him and what the realization that he came to uh, I've never been in a plane crash, but I guess if you are in a plane crash, you just, at some point you say, okay, this is it. I'm dead. Um, his, 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 uh, you know, retelling of that story and what he was thinking was, was mind blowing for me. But before we get to Bob, uh, I want to give a shout out to, to Brad Gilbert, um, who is otherwise known as Simonella, Simon Illa, Simon, like the name Illa, I L L A. Uh, Simon, uh, I've never met in person, uh, but through mutual friends and uh, mutual acquaintances, I got to him. He 
edits or, or, or um, cleans up this podcast every week. So all the mistakes that I make or if uh, somebody's phone rings or somebody's watch hits the table, you guys most of the time don't hear that. It's because Simon Illa cleans it up for us all. So uh, I want to say, first, first of all, thank you to Simon uh, slash Brad Gilbert for, for all the hard work. But more importantly, I want to talk about a book that he uh, has written and is and is just now coming out and I, and I can't do this justice so I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna read you the uh, the preview on Amazon and, and 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 I think you'll find this as I read it I thought oh my God why why have I not had Simonella on the podcast what an interesting story so it says from being born with osteogenesis imperfecta AKA brittle bone disease in 1976. Brad Gilbert experienced a series of events which has propelled him to personal and professional success. Witnessing the murder of his mother at the age of three, enduring a childhood, enduring a childhood of broken bones and constant domestic unrest, Brad was unknowingly on a path to realize his personal potential despite the limitations that, would have placed, that, that the world has placed on him. At the age of 14, his father would gift Brad an in-studio recording documentary that would direct Brad's life and career path. Against most expectations, Brad found his independence in college and graduated while enduring more broken bones and the suicide of his father. Driven once again, he set out to use the events in his life to fuel his dream to become a record producer. Producing nearly two dozen independent records fresh out of college, Brad was gaining momentum. Although the indie record label failed, Brad, who was then dubbed with the, same, with the name Simon Illa, set his sights on bigger and better. After moving to the East Coast from rural Illinois, the now Simon Illa rapidly gained notoriety and at one point was dubbed, quote, Philadelphia's hottest producer by Blender Magazine. Artists and magazines began flocking to Simon from all angles, as did encounters with adversity. Being overbooked in back-to-back flights and busy schedules, Simon began realizing uh, his dreams. Mastering his physical and business challenges, Simon began to observe and contend with per personal challenges related to love and relationships all the while his growing career Simon, all the while his his growing career Simon relocated once again to Atlanta where he currently resides this is where he wrote this memoir quote after so many years of friends family and artists told me that I should write a book and in true artist fashion I procrastinated after some very deep personal experiences over the last few years I was finally com compelled to dig in and write this, my first book. So Simon, good luck, dude. Uh, sounds amazing. And, um, and to all the listeners, check it out. Uh, go to Amazon, look it up. The title of the book is Tracking Identity, a memoir by Brad Gilbert. Uh, folks, enjoy. Uh, Bob Snyder coming up. And uh, see you next week. Bob Schneider, thank you. Thank Thanks you. For we've we've we've. Uh, I'm afraid we burned a bunch of good stories by the minute the, by the time you walked in and we walked around and looked at art and goofed off and we'll bring them back. We'll revive them. You've been doing this a long time, man. Yeah, I have been. Well, I've been doing it my whole life. My, you know, I, I started playing when I was 
I think four or five. My mm. dad taught me how to play guitar. And uh, so I've just been doing it since then. But I, I, it's weird. I, I never thought I'd do it. My dad's an opera singer. And so, like, music was his thing. Mm. And I just wasn't ever going to do it because he had it covered and I had to find my own thing. So I was always going to do art. It's something I did my whole life. I, I uh, you know, from the time I, you know, from the time I was a little kid, I just, it was like a little escape hatch. Mm. Because uh, my life was pretty crazy, my parents partied a lot and stuff. So that was my way of getting away. Right. I read some stories that that your parents were. Well, you were you grew up in Germany, which I got to get into because that's. Uh, I like Germany, but I don't think I'd want to grow up there as a little American kid. But so they're over there pursuing their musical dreams, and they were part. They would party, and they'd come wake you guys up and say, "Hey, come down here and sing for from our friends." Yeah, yeah. So my sister is a year younger than me, and yeah, our whole lives basically uh we were just around, you know, these partiers. My parents married real young, uh and I think my parents were like 22 and 23 when I was born. So mm-hmm. they were just in the middle of just having a good time. And so when we came along, we were just like extra like a free entertainment right. thing that they could roll out. And so, you know, all you know, we it was a regular thing where we'd just be woken up out of bed in the middle of the night and, and you know, go downstairs and... And you're what? Wait, 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 hang on a second. Like, like four, five, six, seven. Our, our whole lives, we did it. Like, there was never a point in our lives where we didn't do it. I, I think when my sister was about 10 or 11, she finally said, I'm not getting out of bed. And But I never... I want to raise. I, yeah, I never... I, I always enjoyed the attention. And I'm really glad that I had that opportunity because when you're you know, four years old, five years old, six years old, you can do no wrong. So I'd be, you know, down there, row, row, row your boat on guitar, and then people go crazy. And so in my mind, I've always had this idea that I'm just the greatest rock and roll star that ever lived. Because when I was four and five and six years old, people were telling me how great I was. And so my whole life... Standing ovations. Oh, yeah. People (laughs) just going crazy. Like, and so... You know, when I when I got into like college and and started doing this for a living, uh, I just always had that idea that I was this mm. incredible rock star, like at mm. my core. Even though I wasn't, I wasn't very. I've I've never really been very good, but I've had that belief that I was great, which has kept me doing it. Yeah. And do your parents? I mean, so at this point, they're are they still alive? Yeah. There's in their seventies. Yeah. Do they ever say like, yeah, that was really that was really fucked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, they have to. I mean, parents get to the point no. like, yeah, did I really wake my son up when he was five and make him play row 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 your boat? No, they're real. They're they they're they're real happy about everything. Oh, they they're did. still in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, they they you know they take all the credit uh, for it. No, I. It's weird. I a few uh, God ten years ago, I took my dad to see my therapist. And uh, just to kind of, you know, try to get some, I don't know, clear, you know, some. Put some stuff on the table. Yeah, just get some stuff on the table and talk about, you know, the way we were raised. Because I, I, you know, as as a, as parents, I don't think my, my parents did a great job in, in some areas. And uh, so we went down there and my, my therapist just laid into my dad in front oh. of me uh, <laughs> about his parenting, saying, I mean, it was lazy parenting what you did, you know, it wasn't good. Right. And uh, at the end of it, my dad was like, uh, yeah, I'd do it all over again. I'd do exactly what I did. You came, you came out okay. And, and everything worked out fine. 
And uh, so, it, let me just tell you from my own experience: uh-huh. when you say "I would do it all over again," yeah, doesn't really fly. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've said that a few times the last four years, and and I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it it is a different different circumstances. It is a weird thing. I will I will say this: uh, having had that experience with my dad was really interesting because. Uh, I got a chance to be an adult with my dad in an adult situation, which not a lot of people get a chance to do. Cause you know, when you see your parents and your relatives, you want to kind of go back into those roles that you played when you were younger. And, yeah. and I think people kind of stay in those roles their whole lives. Yeah. So it was interesting cause it changed the dynamic of uh, our relationship, even though it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. It really did change things for me in yeah. terms of my relationship with him. So yeah. I, I get along better with him now. Yeah. Well, you kind of grew up together. Like my mom, I, f- I feel like we grew up together. She was seventeen when she had me, and she was obviously my mom. But growing up, you know, I was, you know, when I was sixteen, she was thirty-three. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it kind of becomes your buddy and your and your big sister and your mom and your coach and your cheerleader and your driver. Now, was your was your dad around too? So my dad. Um, you should have your own podcast, but uh, <laughs> no, this is a good no. The, 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 so no, my dad. Uh, she had me when she was 17. Uh-huh. I never truly met my father. He, they split up. He kind of split. And then she remarried. I was born Lance Gunderson. Uh-huh. And then she remarried when I was three or four to a fellow named Terry Armstrong, who uh-huh. married her. She became Linda Armstrong. And then he legally adopted me. I became Lance Armstrong. And then they were married for uh, 10 years or so. And, and then they split up. And But never, and then... And Mark, who's sitting here helping us with the sound, can can he probably got the call like three or four years ago. I'm, my years may be off. My biological father, we got a call and said, you know, just just so you know, Lance's father died. Wow. And he died from a spider bite, which, you know, I guess in the 1800s, you died from spider bites. But I was like, okay, well, number one, who dies from spider bites? Junkies. Oh. Junkies and AIDS patients. Okay. Really. Well, man, I, I, he could have been all of the above. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, just kind of never, never. So, you, but you didn't know anything else about him except for that he just died. Yeah, of a spider bite. Right. But didn't I knew know roughly any of his history. No, or? knew roughly where he lived. Um, and I wasn't. Uh, I'll fully confess, and you know, you know, this won't sit well with some, but. I never, I was never much interested. I never went and looked. I never was curious on, you know, on, he was not great to my mother. He kind of came back into my storyline when I won the first tour in 99, because people were like, well, where's the dad? Uh-huh. So yeah, this works. The media goes and finds the guy. He did a big, you know, huge um, interview with a Dutch paper. And even then, you know, said some really not nice things about my mom. And so I was like, okay, this, this, you know, we're done. Wow. But uh, no, so if, you, literally, you, if he walked in this room right now, uh, I would have no idea. Well, he'd be dead. So that would be That weird. would be crazy. That would make news. But but if, if but he, even when he did that interview, you didn't connect with him at no, all. You didn't talk to him. No. Because your, your stepdad was your real dad. Because he came right. into the picture when you were like three or four. So yep. that's all you remember. So from like four to 15 or so, he was around. And so your ste- are you still like, do you, are you close to your stepdad? No. Wow. So that, cause that, cause the marriage ended badly or what happened there? Uh, yeah, it didn't, end, it didn't end well. Didn't end well. 
you're laughing like no, it's I mean, a it's horrible just, story well, or something my, you don't want to because my mom listens to these so i'm a little oh, i'm a little since you, know, you she, don't want to get into her business well i've already said first of all already i've already dropped one f-bomb and <laughs> which gets me in trouble and uh which i usually drop like 30 so you so your mom doesn't like you cussing uh they they uh think that i need to cuss less is they, she a religious person your mom yeah, yeah yeah pretty religious she's a catholic yeah and is that were you raised catholic I was no, I was I was kind of raised just with well. whatever. Yeah, you didn't go to church or anything like that. Occasionally, but I'm a, a I'm not a very religious person. So you didn't like believe in God when you were a kid or anything. <laughs> Wait a minute, whose podcast? No, is no, because I because I, I I find it interesting. I I really did. I mean, I no, I was I probably did. I I I'm 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 not I'm a you know I'm not sure these days about God. <laughs> Well, nobody's sure about right, God. Right. Can't be, you can't you be. Can't be too sure. It wouldn't. Life wouldn't be fun if you could be sure yeah. about what. If there was a God, then it, it wouldn't yeah. have any of its, yeah. uh, the drama and the. But you uh, couldn't have been raised yeah. religious if you're over there. No, I was absolutely. I went to. Uh, in fact, when in we, Germany, partying. Oh yeah, yeah. We this went, all then. There's a God angle to this. Yeah, I mean, my 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 mom was raised real strict Catholic. And uh, my dad was raised Lutheran, and then when we moved to Germany, I was two, and they immediately put me in a, a Catholic sort of daycare, which was kindergarten, is, yep. is what that's called in Germany. And uh, time out for one: the, these kids are speaking German. These aren't. This I was isn't yeah, I was just American. To, no, I went to a German school, so I learned how to read and write in German. I was like a little German kid when I was a kid, and um, and went to first and second grade in a German Catholic school, and it was rough. I mean, hmm. these women were like, oh, it's all corporal punishment. Hmm. And I have all these, you know, little books when I was a kid. And it's all, everything they Sounds taught like a, was just bummer. like the Bible, basically. Hmm. That's all I learned. So I, I was really super religious. Like, I really believed in God. I thought God was looking over my shoulder the whole time. And, you know, I, I pretty much held on to that until probably junior high when I was just like, ah, this stuff's not adding up. Still in Germany. No, no, we moved back to the States when I was uh, about seven or eight, and then we lived in El Paso for four years, so my dad could study voice with this uh, this opera voice teacher in, at, at UT El Paso, and uh, I got my ass handed to me for four years going to these really rough, wow. sort of mostly Hispanic school, like in real poor area of El yeah. Paso, and then uh, then we moved back to Germany. And then when we moved back to Germany, I just went to American schools over there. My mom got a job with the Department of Defense and uh, started teaching there so we could go to American schools, which, by the way, those American schools over there, real rough. So you just take all the, pretty much you take all the ghettos from the, from the United States, every race, every part of the United States, yeah. you get those sort of like lowest common denominator folks which is who 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 enlists in the army you got yeah. pretty much no other options you know uh and then they have kids and then they put them into school and that's who i went to school with like in junior high and high school that was real sketchy huh so so you went back and forth. i mean you were the states and then germany and then back to El pa but then you ended up going back again to el paso of all places which well i ended back up to, back to you back to going to college there well i ended up uh i was going to college for a couple years in germany they had a, a University of Maryland in Munich, Germany, which was a blast. It was a, a Munich. To me, school. Munich is the if you got to live in Germany, and I'm again, I'm not knocking the Germans, but Munich yeah. is 
is pretty stunning. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's an ama- it's be- it's a beautiful city. And I will say this, if you're going to be a teenager, Germany's the place to be. There's no drinking age. You can't drive, but there's great public transportation systems. So we were just partying. Uh basically my entire teenage life and my parents didn't care you know they were like yeah as long as you're partying here at the house or you know we know yeah. where you're at they didn't care so and you could have beer delivered so i mean i'd be like 15 years old and uh having a party at my house and delivering you know guys would deliver cases of beer to our house and we just had a good time wow it was great. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. You know, my kids get the, the you know seventeen year old boy, and then you know you know what they're doing. Right? Yeah, you know they're they're all partying, and they're all partying, and you're like, I don't I don't like this. I don't I'm, I I you know they drive, they don't party and drive, but they but they have a license, but yet you don't want them to be somewhere you don't know where they are, right? But you also don't want them at your house partying for liability purposes and just Absolutely. other concerns. Yeah, yeah. So then you're like, go to Germany. And you're live in Germany. Well, you could live in Germany. <laughs> My kids would 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 absolutely revolt and wouldn't do that. But but you're gonna you watch you you'll be in this you'll be in this mess in five or six years. I mean, my son's eleven, so we're coming up on it. You know, he's gonna. I, I try to talk to him about drugs and sex, and he just won't even talk about it. Well, eleven. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like with the internet and with these. I mean, these kids. They're believe me, it's. They're, you know, they're yeah. starting to talk about it. Yeah. No, that's it, it's, the world moves faster now. When they get a little older, you know, maybe 13, just if he's, if you can get in his phone, which you probably can, just check out the, the, the browsing history on the, on the <laughs> Safari. I mean, it's, yeah, it's uh, filthy. Yeah. You're, and so you, you're, and I want to talk about your son because I thought I read this article. It was oddly enough, it was in the Oklahoma, some Oklahoma paper. About the about, about the album, or you made? Did you make the album with your son? Is it done? His son's name is Luke. My son's name's Luke. By the way, my son's name is Luke. Yeah, but his is mine's L U K E, and you yours is L U C. Well, actually, I wanted to call him Lucky, and uh, <laughs> my ex wife wouldn't go for it, and I was like, well, half of Lucky's Luke L U C, and I like the French. It's got know, kind of a Euro nod, which is where you grew up. Yeah, like Jean Luc Picard and stuff. So. Yeah, so we ended up compromising with Luke. At least you didn't name him like, you know, Heinrich or Gunther or, <laughs> or uh, yeah, you know, that other been, bad names. Yeah, that would have been too much. So the so he splits time with you and... Yeah, I mean, it's about two-thirds with her and, and one-third right. with me. Right, I hear you. I mean, that's what we got, Kristen and I, and the kids just go back and forth. Yeah, it's great. I mean, they they live here. If uh, You know, she, she married a, a, a guy and uh, he lives mostly in in la and new york but uh bought a house here and the guy does yeah so now they they live here which is great because if they would have moved i would have had to move i i I just couldn't live you can't do that i couldn't live in a different city right i have to live with my kid isn't that cool well i i don't understand people who can get away from their kids like that's the only thing that matters to me is my family like i I mean i that's not the only thing that matters, but it's the most important. It's the number thing. one rule. I mean, for me, it's the number one rule. You couldn't, and in and, and the and I don't know how how you are with your ex wife, but I know with Kristen and I, I mean that deal that's totally mutual. You know, if if neither of us until they're off to college, right, or where you know that phase of their life, you just you know you just can't. I mean, you you just even if you're not married, you have to co parent. You have to be together. I mean, it's it's it, we we've got we've worked it out in ways that I mean between. Kristen and Anna, I don't know how this this shit worked out the way it did, but it's a dream. 
Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean, my uh, ex-wife really loves my current wife. They get along great, yeah. and uh, we hang out there. They talk more than you guys talk. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's weird. It That's, is weird. I got it. Okay. Yeah. But it's great. I mean, because, and the idea really that the, the divorce, uh, when I went through it, was definitely the hardest thing I'd gone through until uh, my daughter was born. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think both of us made a real, especially my ex-wife, made a real conscious decision to put parenting first mm-hmm. and put all feelings aside uh, besides that. So, and I think because of that, you know, we have this great relationship mm. now. And when you say your daughter was born, I mean, with your son. No, my daughter. I have a I have a two year old daughter. Got it. Uh, None of that. And uh, but when she was born a couple of years ago, uh, my wife had uh, preeclampsia, which is this condition where you have like uh, high blood pressure, hmm. and the only thing that will get rid of it is to deliver the baby, and it keeps getting higher and higher. And it used to kill women all the time, and it's still. I think it's the number one killer of women actually today. Wow. Uh, so if, the only thing they can do is deliver the baby. So the baby was born two months premature. Mm. And uh, had to be in the NICU, and so it was real. It was that was the most traumatic right. thing I've had to go through. This little, just this little amoeba, little tiny. She was born. She was three pounds five God. ounces, and then she got under three pounds. She was just tiny. Wow. Yeah. And now she's good. Now she's well. She's a monster. She's like two years okay. old. She's, well, yeah, that's good. It's like a drunk German alien. I don't know what she is. Right. She's speaking a language I can't understand. Yeah, but when you've seen them go from being less than three pounds to that, you're like, okay, you can be a drunk German alien for a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm cool with that. <laughs> Some of the time, yeah. You just let me call me back, and you know, in uh, you know, twelve or thirteen years when they're Ugh. teenagers, dude, I'm, it's it's yeah. it's brutal. And my daughters listen to this podcast, so I'll, I'll. Mine are great. My daughters, I love them. They're awesome. They'd never do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't steal credit cards and go rack up massive bills. They don't do any of that shit. That's great. <laughs> is that, is that, are you joking? One, one of them did. One <laughs> of them did. One of them did. But, all right, I, but I want to talk about this record. So your son, he plays instruments. I mean, you've taught him or he's taught himself. The, well, I tell you. I mean, kids, if you make it a record, he's not like over there, like, you know, with the, with the triangle. Well, kind of. I mean, uh, I mean, kids can really do anything mm-hmm. uh, at some point. They decide, they tell themselves they can do something. Lots of times it's what their parents do, I think. You know, like they see their parents doing something, they go, oh, that's something you can do. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have anybody around doing that, sometimes they say, well, you can't do that. Right. Uh, So I know that he knows that that's something he can do, but uh, he's really into sports now. Uh, That's his his bag. He plays football and stuff. But, you know, when he was three or four, he would just do anything. I'd be like, let's, you know, let's go out into the studio and, and you know, make some noise, and so we started doing that uh, around that age, and uh, just started recording these songs over the course of seven or eight years, and uh, with no, you know, like no agenda. I, I wasn't thinking I'd put make the songs even available, but then uh, I was approached by Amazon, uh, and they were like, "Hey, do you have like a Christmas album or maybe a kids album or something? We'd love to put something on our streaming music." services so i was like oh i got all these songs i wrote with my son over the years and they were interested in doing that so uh we just put that out and uh and then we got these guys did he negotiate his deal (laughs) my son yeah no okay you get these guys sorry but i i mean i gave him uh i i gave him a big chunk of the money and we put it in a trust for him so he can have it when he's when he turns 18 nice so 
Yeah, in the article, I loved it where you're like, you know, it's, at some point I want him to know that playing music it was something about, what did you say? I'll just read it to you. This is a classic Bob Snyder quote. I think you, you know, this is, this was, this was old school Bob Snyder. He says, Luke doesn't really have much interest in performing music. He's really into sports at the moment. I have a feeling once girls really come into the picture and he sees how easy it is to attract them with music versus how hard you have to work to do it with sports, he might come back around to the music. <laughs> well, for sure. That's I mean, I think that's going to happen. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe not. But uh, I don't know. I, Me personally, I don't like uh, any sort of discomfort at all. So like when I, when I think of what you do and you know what you've done like that is probably my idea of a nightmare like to put to punish myself and put myself in that much physical agony i I mean i don't like to uh i don't like to turn the pages of a book like to me that's like too much work like that's why i like reading on my ipad because i could just tap the thing instead of having to turn the page let me just put it this way if if not only are we totally different but if i don't have the punishment slash suffer part Uh i am the worst human being alive like we 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 talked about i mean we were going to do this this discussion yesterday but i did Uh this long bike ride yeah and why and i was out there thinking why why in the fuck am i out here with these young kids riding 100 plus miles and but i loved it man i came home i felt i had a big lunch uh-huh. i just put my feet up played solitaire and i was like i did i felt amazing like i loved that the yeah. day was complete well i i mean you're a man, we're men mm. and i think men uh we're good at doing a, a specific kind of focused task yep. and when we're doing that thing whatever it is riding a bike uh playing a song building a table, it doesn't matter what it is. Right. But when we're doing that thing, we, we're at ease and we feel necessary. And when we're not doing that thing, we understand that we are redundant and unnecessary. <laughs> and it's the worst uncomfortable feeling in the world. So like, you know, when women are like, oh, you need to you like spend time with your kids and uh, so, you know, do these socializing events or whatever, you know, where you're not doing the thing that you're whatever on the earth for decided that that's the thing that you do. You feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable when I'm not doing that thing. And I don't think, I don't think a lot of people understand that they think, well, you should be able to do everything. Well, you've done it your whole life. It's just like me. I mean, it's very similar. This is all I know. Yeah. That and now podcasting. (laughs) Hey, you want to play a song? Sure. Yeah. What do you want to, what do you want to play? Let me play this song. I when you walked in, I'm, I asked. I said, "What's your what's your what's your favorite cover song?" And you said, well, I, don't, "I don't know any covers." I love that answer. My dad, on the other hand, knows all covers. Like he can play a thousand songs. How far How far read. does he live from here? Uh, no, not too far. <laughs> <laughs> Is it true you've written two thousand songs in sixteen years? I read that. Well, it's been longer than that. Uh, I mean, I started writing songs and. I mean, I, I wrote my first song in, in high school, so... Well, yeah, yeah, it was 2,000 th- songs years. is a lot of songs. But yeah, I've written over 2,000 songs, yeah. yeah you, written, have you written songs for other people? I haven't really done much of that. I, I did a little co-writing with the Dixie Chicks yeah. uh, on their last album. But I, 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 I've never really enjoyed it. I think of songwriting like masturbating. Like, I don't want to do it with somebody else in the room. I, I want to do it, you know, on my own. 
Okay, and you know, every time we do one of these podcasts, there's always a quote associated with the podcast. This, I just threw, that, just, I threw <laughs> that one in for your we, mom. Yeah, by the way, <laughs> to give her a little uh, mind video. Wow. <laughs> Should we? What are you going to play us? All right, I'll play. This is a song I wrote. Uh, you're you're the musician. Should we move that mic, or is it cool like that? Oh, this is fine. So I wrote this song uh, when my uh, when my daughter Scarlett was in. Uh, the NICU. She, but she was only in there for about 10 days. It was crazy. She didn't have any complications or anything. But we were living at the hospital, and my, you know, my, my wife was, you know, pretty messed up from the, from, from that illness that she had. It was tough. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it was, like I said, it was about the toughest thing I ever did. So this is a song I wrote called Easy. Where you are, that's where I'll be. Upside down or in a tree Out in front or far behind With you wherever's fine It's always been a scary thing to do To let my heart fall down into the endless blue But it's easy Easy, easy to do. Yeah, it's easy with you on the mountaintop or the valley blue, wearing tattered rags or real sharp shoes. Blown away or blown apart We'll always make it back to the heart Deep in the woods Underneath the big black trees If you are there and lost That is lost where I will be And it'll be easy 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 to do it'll be easy with you where you are that is where I will be you will always be a part of me I've never been a fan of fish But your command will be my wish If you are, I'll pack my hoard Throw it all overboard And sink down till I find you there With the sea grass growing in your hair and it'll be easy, easy, easy to do. It'll be easy with you. Nice. How much does your wife love you after you wrote that song? Ah. Uh. Well, you know how it is. 
Wow. For, for a minute, she loves me a lot. And yeah. Well, you just so much. screwed all the dudes in, in the room listening to this. <laughs> all, all, all the women go home and go, honey, you never wrote it. You never even wrote anything down on paper that was even 1% of that. Well, thanks, Bob. Well, I mean, it is, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I feel lucky that I get a chance to, uh, I do, I do feel lucky that I get a chance to kind of uh, write stuff like that. Right. Speaking of writing, because and again, I, I just read your stuff, and so you have this thing called the Poetry Machine. Is that the, the actual name, the Poetry Machine? Where you yeah. and a group of buddies. Let me frame this for the listeners. So you and a group of buddies, every week you sort of challenge each other to write, yeah, some poetry. Right. Well, I started doing this thing called the Song Game okay. uh, back about. I guess I first started doing it maybe sixteen years ago. And uh, what uh, what we would do, me and some friends of mine were sitting around, we're like, hey, let's pick a phrase, and then we'll go home, we'll write a song, and uh, come back tomorrow, and we'll play each other the song that we wrote that's got the phrase in it. And I think the... Fr- uh, yeah, give us an example. Like, what's a phrase? It can be anything. Like, uh, probably the hardest phrase ever was bicycle versus car. And so then everybody had to write a song, and somewhere in the song, you had to put the phrase bicycle versus car. That's a hard one. Sometimes it's like fingers or something. Okay. The hardest one, actually, I'll tell you the hardest one we ever had was uh, we used the N word was the uh, oh, no. was the phrase, and so we were all like, okay, well, we got to write blown in the blown in the wind. We got to write the song that ends racism, you know. Right. And nothing will stop you from writing quicker than trying to write a great song. Yeah. Like if you're trying to write a great song, you're not going to write. You're just going to sit there and there's going to be a critical voice in your head that's going to stop you completely. It's like the traffic here in Austin. You're not going to get anywhere. But if you're just trying to write a silly old whatever song, you can write hits all day long accidentally right. if you're just trying to write whatever. So what ends what ended up happening was everybody was trying to write this great song cuz you know you're using a word that really should never really say right. and now it's going to be in a song, so what ended up happening was everybody just wrote these really racist songs because they just couldn't write anything good. So they're like, well, we'll just go the other way. You'd have to write a rap song. It's still, no. yeah. Anyways, it, I, I, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a rough, it was a rough, uh, we've rough touched week. on that in this podcast and it's, 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 yeah, it's hard to, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be a part of that group that day. Well, it was interesting. Everybody was excited about the challenge until they actually got into it and realized, oh, this is going to be a lot yeah. harder than, than than we think. So anyways, so I've been doing that song, I, the song game for a while. Uh, when I first started doing it, we'd do it when I was on tour. And, uh, you know, we'd do it every day. So if we were on tour for three weeks, we'd come. I'd come home and I'd have written 20 songs in three weeks. It you was, did it with it the band crazy. or you did it with like a group text or like all your buddies or who? No, I just did it with the band. The so, band. Uh, you know, Bruce uh, Hughes, who's in my band, he's a songwriter. And Billy Harvey, who was in my band at the time, he's a great, oh, amazing Bruce songwriter. Hughes was in, was he in Cracker? He was in Cracker yeah, for a little such bit. such a great band. And, uh, and uh, also the guy who was opening up for us, uh, Steve Poltz, he 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 did it with us. So, uh, you know, whoever was on tour. So we started doing it that way. And then eventually we just started doing it over email. And then the list kind of grew. And, and I've had all kinds of really good songwriters uh, kind of be a part of it over the years. But it's really the thing that's kind of, you know, made me write hmm. at least 50 songs a year, sometimes 100 songs a year. You know, back when we were doing it, we were trying to do it every couple of days. So, wow. you know, you'd write hundred songs a year or whatever. And uh 
Now we just do it once a week. So then about 10 years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a writer uh, out in LA. She writes screenplays and novels and stuff. And when we were younger, we used to write poems and give them to each other and we'd read them to each other and stuff. And we realized that when we turned 30, we just stopped writing poetry because when you turn 30, you just start working. Mm. You, you know, the time for fooling around is over. It's time to get to work. Hmm. And poetry, there's no work. Hmm. You can't make any money. Even the greatest poets in the world, you know, the guys who are poet laureates, they can't Stone make a cold living. Broke. Yeah. Stone cold broke. Well, they're professors. Yeah. They have to teach because you can't make any money on poetry. So we decided that we'd start this thing called the poetry machine, similar to the song game where I'd send out a phrase every week and, uh, and it would, you know, make us write a poem. And so we just started doing that. And that was, I guess that was 11 years ago. And uh, so now I've written, you know, yeah. 600 poems. Yeah. And I told you earlier, not only, uh, I mean, I, first of all, I couldn't, I couldn't write a poem to save my life. Not only can I not do that. Well, you can. Well, I can't. I mean, just I mean, like I can, I can ride a bike. Okay. It's the same, you know what I mean? I just can't ride a bike well, up damn, a hill I damn sure for never more tried. than about I 10 damn feet. Sure never tried. So not only do, do, uh, uh, I'll maintain, I just don't think I can write poetry, but as I said earlier, I can't even read it. So like I'm looking for you guys <laughs> at home. So so Bob has this blog, which he's not updated in a year, which we'll get to, but it's it's called Stinking Hand. You, anyways, you look up Bob Snyder, you'll find it. But so he's got a lot of your artwork and then you have all this poetry on here. So I was in reading about your life, I was like, okay. I'm just going to try to read this poem. <laughs> and I'm sitting here and I'm like, hang on a second. Did I have one too many margaritas or what's my problem? I can't even get. So here, so you have, so I'm going to read, I'm going to attempt to read Gene Simmons' Air Hockey Table. And okay. You like this one. All right. I probably even screwed up the title. No, that was right. Okay. All right. You guys, for you listeners at home, don't laugh. Okay. I hadn't seen him in years and he looked so much older. I asked him how many crayons would it take to color the world blue? How was that? Was that okay? Yeah, you're okay. doing great. Okay. And how many different blues are there? I'd guess maybe 50, but what do I know? It's been years since I hung myself in my bedroom from the doorknob of the closet. This is... <laughs> but I'd want the biggest box they had. 50 blues would be nice. I could really match the color to each glorious state like that 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 didn't feel right well because you're stopping at the end of each but it's i thought you're you, supposed to stop be, i could really match the color to each glorious day oh well you could have put that all in one line but okay <laughs> full of sun my arms lying in the grass open to new suggestions my blue skin against the gray skin of the morning unbuttoning my shorts whoa <laughs> one button at a time so the whole class could see and then filling in the blanks with all the leftover colors. See, I was, t I was, I can't, I can't even read it. No, that was great. Oh, that was you. fine. That, that, that. It's funny because I, when you say that, I, uh, my dad thinks that this poetry is just hilarious. To him, it's just mm -hmm. ridiculous that I even write this stuff. And, and, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it's kind of crazy, especially the older stuff that I wrote. Um, and so I used to film him like, reading my poetry because mm -hmm. it would be hard for him to keep a straight face yeah. when he was reading it. And, and when he, about your, your dad wasn't like a big, because opera singers are like big fat guys, aren't they? He's a pretty imposing guy. I mean, don't he, you have to be like to, 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 or no, is that like a stereotype? No. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be a big guy. Like, got it. Hmm. 
Um, and then the rest of the yard, I, I mean, I think this is the crazy, like if for those, I mean, us localites here in Austin, we, we know that, I mean, I was actually at a, at a thing at the contemporary and saw some of your art there. Um, but I don't think people understand. I think they, they remember you from way back when with the ugly Americans and Joe Rockhead and the scabs and lonely land. And, but they don't realize that you do art and you write poetry and dude, pretty prolific. Well, I mean, it's something that I've always, like I said, I mean, I mean, I I never was going to do music. I I just, my whole life growing up, I just assumed I was going to be an artist. Uh, That was my, that was my plan all along. And then it was only when I got into, uh, I did a talent show in high school and, uh, (laughs) and uh, again, I just got a lot of, you know, attention from, from the girls and I was invisible before that. And then I played the show and the next thing I know, I'm walking through the halls and, Girls are like, hey, what's up? Hey, and Bob. Then same thing happened in college where nobody knew who I was. And, you know, I was just going to going to these art classes and stuff. And then I did another talent show. And uh, we just killed it at the talent show. And uh, and and I was like, oh, I like, I like all this attention that right. I'm getting. But, but this is all, and you've talked a lot about uh, being sober. and, and But I can, I can just imagine that as this attention begins the interest from the ladies begin late nights and partying and boozing and it just gets rolling. Well, I mean, I was already boozing it pretty hard. Well, yeah, you told us you were drinking when I was a teenager, 14, 15. Right. Uh, So that was already part of the program, but uh, yeah, it was really just, you know, I was real shy, real introverted uh, person. uh, Unlike my dad, who's real outgoing. will talk to anybody. Like I'm the exact opposite of him. (laughs) And uh, and so the booze helped uh, with you know getting out of my shell and being able to talk to people. And a little then, liquid courage. Yeah, and then I realized too, you know, if I if I just played a show, girls would come up and talk to me. I didn't have to go up and you know get rid. I think I asked, asked one girl out one time. She said no, and then I became a musician after that. So right. I would never have to ask anybody out again. And and it's like I talked. I had Jason Isbell on the podcast, and so we talked a lot about he's he talks about his drinking. Like it's, it's just so vivid Mm -hmm. his, what he can remember of it, which is quite a lot. Um, But to hear, I mean, he, he was, you know, deep, deep, deep Um, and, and good for him. He's just been stone cold sober from, you know, from the moment he decided to, but was it that crazy? I mean, here in Austin and are we talking just booze or are we talking? Well, I mean, I, I, I tried, uh, uh, you know, I tried all the drugs that mm-hmm. there were to try, uh, but I never really enjoyed drugs very much. It was it was the booze I liked because it. I'm just real nervous. And I have a lot of anxiety, and I'm afraid of everything. So the booze just took that away. And uh, and one of the things you can do uh, as a musician is just stay drunk all the time. And so I was in a band called Joe Rockhead, and I wouldn't drink before those shows, but that band broke up in '93. And I was in a band called Ugly Americans. And the thing about the Ugly Americans was I could just drink all the time. So I don't even remember most of those. From 93 to 95, I don't hardly remember any of the shows. I don't remember being on stage. And I would stay drunk. I would just get up in the morning and drink. So for two years, those last two years, I was drunk all the time. And I'd, I'd meet girls in bars and stuff. And I'd, and I'd be trying to pick them up. And they'd be like, man, I, I hung out with you for a whole weekend a month ago. Oh wow! And I wouldn't have any recollection of it, and it got, it got really bad. I mean, it got to the point where 
I just wouldn't remember anything past about two in the afternoon. Hmm. And so I'd try to, every day I'd wake up and try to piece together the day before. And it was real scary. And and the the part about it that sucked was I just didn't think I would ever be able to stop. Like, I was just like, well, I can't control it. Because I keep telling myself, well, I'm, like, I went out to L.A. to record this record. And I was like, well, when I'm out in L.A., I'm just not going to drink for that I'm two gonna, months. I'm going to be serious. I'm going to, you know, get it together. And then when the record's done, I'll start drinking. And a day later, I'm drinking. And uh, I will say this, uh, I probably would have stopped drinking earlier if I hadn't been living in Austin, because you can be wasted and get crazy in Austin, and you're, you're going to be fine. Yep. I mean, I've had knives pulled on me in Austin and guns, but it's, it's you know, casual right. knife and gun. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's Austin. I don't want, I don't want no casual guns, but... Yeah, but it's Austin-friendly sort of, yeah. you know, violence. Now, I went out to L.A., and tried to pull that same stuff when I was in LA, when I was right before I got sober and I got into some real danger. And uh, yes, yeah, I went to this party. There were some mob guys at this party and I thought for sure that there, I was just going to get killed by these guys. And uh, I didn't. And I, it was enough to kind of, it was like the final nail in the coffin hmm. for me. And, and that was in 95 and I haven't had a drink since. Stopped or you went to, went to rehab? I went to what? rehab and then I did, you know, did everything you have to do to stay sober. Wow. Never. I mean, there must be days where you're like, I never think about it. That's great. Yeah. It's weird. After about a month or two, I just never thought about it again. And I mean, I'm around booze all the time. Of it's, course it's you just are. never, it'd be the same as like you thinking like, I'm going to drink some uh, Mr. Clean or something. So that's the irony. And I read it in one of your, in one of the articles about you was that here, you know, here you are with that story and your, your shows uh, historically and to this day are like, you know, whatever venue it is, they're the highest liquor and alcohol sales yeah, yeah. of we any break, artist. We break, we break all the, the, the liquor, yeah. uh, the, whatever it is. Uh, and you're back there down in the Sprites or. and they're whatever, whatever, you know? Yeah. It is weird. I have a real hard drinking audience for sure. Hmm. But I mean, because I mean, that's what I am. I just don't drink. If I drank, I'd drink like I'd drink like these people who drink that come to my shows. Right. And you were drinking like hard alcohol, like No, really? just beer. I'd drink about a case a day. God, that sounds miserable. First of all, you how, how were you not like three hundred pounds drinking a case of well, beer? Well, I wasn't really eating much. I was pretty I was I was weird it was weird. Oh. I was skinny, but I was kind of puffy. Yeah, skinny kinda, we call that skinny fat. Yeah. You were skinny fat. <laughs> yeah, there's an actor I saw this actress. I'm not gonna say her name because she's dating a friend of mine, but I saw her. She had the same thing where she's real skinny, but she was just puffy. Looks soft. real bad. Oof. Yeah, soft, puffy, skinny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you want to play another song? Because yeah. I want to. I want to ask you. I want to ask you a weird question when you're not, not a weird question, but what is, well, why don't you ask me the weird question while I'm pulling up? Well, I don't. Song. I don't want to bring up Sandra because I don't. I mean, it. it but ever the whole world knows that that you guys were together for a long time. But I only have one question, yeah, and yeah. it's not about her. Mm -hmm. You, you guys, and I think I got this right. You guys were in a plane crash. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I've never talked. Well, I, I have talked. I, 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 the guy who ran Discovery Channel, who sponsored our team for a long time, was in that JetBlue flight that landed in the Hudson. Really? So Billy Campbell. Right. His name is Billy Campbell. Uh huh. And Bob Schneider. Those are the only two people I know that have been in plane crashes. Well, it's rare. Yeah, I think it's one in eleven million. 
So it's a, it's a rare thing. But this was a real plane crash. Like- it was a real plane crash. We were, I'll tell you what happened. So we were flying into Jackson Hole, uh, and it was a, it was a private, it was a, it was a, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was the same company, there was a crash like a month later in Aspen. Hmm. Remember when all those people died in Aspen? Yeah, that do, plane unfortunately. Crash? That's family. That's a very, very bad story. Abjet was the- type. Abjet, that was the company. So the that's- LA-based charter. Same yeah. charter company. So we, we, you know, chartered this jet. We were flying into Jackson Hole. We were landing at night. The sheriff told us the next day that what the captain, what the pilot tried to do was land. And I guess you have to like punch in a code or something, turns on the runway lights. It's a private airport there couldn't figure out the code or couldn't get the lights on, just tried to land blind without the lights. Mm. That's what they told us. And instead of hitting the runway. But hang on, but I'm sorry. You guys are know something's going on or you're just you just, just landing. landing. You just think you're landing. We just think we're landing. Okay. It's two o'clock in the morning. Mm. But I mean I'm looking out of the side of the plane. And I'm kind of a nervous flyer anyways at this point. I'm looking out of the plane, I'm like, man, there's just nothing. Awfully, like we're it's you can tell dark. we're going down, right. but it's pitch black i mean there's no lights nothing uh. and uh but you know whatever we're landing they know what they're doing it's the captain he knows what yeah. he's doing and uh man we hit and what happened was instead of hitting the runway he landed to the left of the runway in just a piled up ice you know like that icy pat snow that's on the side of the god and it ripped the i guess it ripped the wheels off the plane so then we were just sliding on the belly of the plane okay and what and you're going it, it, well the whole you're the, thinking this is crazy or you're thinking i'm dead you immediately go i'm dead okay because the whole it'd be like taking your car taking the wheels off the car and throwing it down the road at whatever you land at 100 miles an hour or whatever so everything's yeah. shaking stuff's flying around and you're just looking at the front of the plane just going okay at any second that front of that plane's going to come and smash me you're seeing out of the front of you can see out of the no, front i'm just looking at the at the wall in front of me oh. the wall of the front of the plane hmm. and i'm like that's going to come oh at God. me any second it's just going to come and then i'm dead but i'll tell you this what happens is instead of being scared it was like this overwhelming sense of relief i was just like ah oh, it's finally over. I don't ever have to. I don't have to worry anymore. Mm. I don't have to struggle or have any of this anxiety. It's over, um, and it was just this peaceful, wonderful feeling. Wow, I would then, not have guessed that. It was weird, and then so, and then the plane comes to. See, a, this is why you want to talk to people that have been in plane crashes. Yeah, because yeah. well, it makes sense because you hear about. Like, I never would have thought that. Well, you hear about that, you know, like the plane that crashed, you know, nine eleven. That that third plane that, mm-hmm. that went down and they you know like people were calm and stuff and they're like how can people be calm if they're about to die but i get it now because once you realize there's nothing you can do and you're gonna die you're fine it's not a big deal you know <laughs> we're all gonna die yeah that's for sure but we, we but made, I, don't, I wouldn't have wanted to go out when you were 40 years well, old Well, nobody wants to i mean everybody wants you know everybody this is all we know yeah but when it when you're faced with it and when it happens you realize oh and I actually wrote a song. I was Maybe say, I should play that song. You should play that song. Yeah. You should play that song, but I have one more question. Oh, yeah. So then so then you have this overwhelming sense of calm and relief, and then the thing comes to a stop, and you're like, wait, I'm not going to die? Right. It's exactly. So you get this euphoric, like, oh, wow, I didn't die. This is amazing. I'm alive. It's incredible. Wow. It's a wonderful feeling. And you got out and just walked out? 
Well, it's weird. So, we, so, so the plane comes to a stop. The, the, the plane's messed just, up. Just trashed. Well, the wings snapped in half. One of the, the nose is gone. But it's not gone. It's just kind of not good. Not good, but everybody's fine. The dog was the one that was messed up the worst because the dog flew into the cockpit. We're, you know, we're strapped in. And the, the co-pilot was banged up a little bit. He was kind of bleeding from his head a little bit. But, but so the captain gets out. Nobody has a cell phone. Uh, my, my girlfriend had a cell phone, so she gave the captain the cell phone. Captain got off the plane. We never saw that guy again. Come on. For the rest of our lives, never saw that guy again. He just disappeared into the night. He obviously knew his career was over. Yeah. It's not, done would, deal. Yeah. We, we found out later that, that he had been like rejected and they didn't want to hire him. And then they finally hired him. It was like a bunch of crap we found out about this guy. God. So he left and now we're on the plane and you can smell like jet fuel and there's smoke and can't see anything. It's pitch black. Cold. No, we're, I mean, we're on the plane still. Uh-huh. And, uh, and finally we're like, hey, can we get the F off this plane? Yeah. And the co-pilot opens up the door and we go out and we're like in, you know, four foot of snow. And, and, uh, and then we see some, a, a truck coming. It was the, the janitor came and picked us up in the back of this flatbed, uh, you know, like a pickup truck. And then we went, we went and then talked to the sheriff and, and but never saw the, the pilot again. He just disappeared. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, that that um, yeah, that's that's not good. That that's the story in Aspen was 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 bad. I mean, that was a yeah that and that so that happened just a couple yeah like that, weeks later. That was on the the guy chartering. I'll just be brief, but that was and this is what's interesting about this story is not only was it the the utmost disrespect, but these black boxes capture everything on these planes, and so uh-huh. he was trying to get into Aspen before dark. Uh, it was the weather was had just moved in. It was bad. The guys in the cockpit, the pilots are going, we can't land. Uh-huh. He's in the cockpit saying, we're late for, he's 13 people on this airplane. Okay, 13 people. Uh-huh. You know, his people, flight attendants, you know, pilots. Yeah, yeah. And he says, we're late for a party. You have to land this airplane. So the pilot tries to jam it in, you know, succumbs to the pressure of this asshole and confuses the runway with the highway, which almost parallels the runway. Ugh. And all thir- you know, they fly into the side of the mountain. All 13 people lose their lives. But that's all on the box, wow. this guy. So it's just, yeah. Well, there was none of that. No, there was none of that. I'm <laughs> glad you're here to tell the story. Well, it, what happened, too, after that was, so we had to keep flying. We had to fly out of there. <laughs> uh, so they, I think Warner Brothers sent their jet, and we flew out in that thing, and which is if you're gonna fly, that's Big, the way yeah, to fly. Okay. And uh but then I, I every time I get in a plane, I had like some kind of post-traumatic stress from it. I bet. To the point of and I kept flying for about up to a year. And uh but it, every time I'd get in a plane, it started to where I would just like tremble the whole time. Like visibly tremble. It was real bad. Didn't want to have a drink. No, no. That's didn't strong. want to have a drink. But that's uh strong. But what ended up happening was uh we ended up I was supposed to fly to, uh, I was supposed to go to New York on September 8th, 2001. Hmm. We're going to be there for five days. And I decided to not go because I was like, man, I'm just going to be worried about coming home. I'm I'm not going to be able to enjoy New York because we're only there for five days. And I'm just going to be thinking about the flight home. So I didn't go. And of course, that was was when 9-11 happened. So when that happened, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fly for a while. And that turned into seven years, no flying. Come on. So I didn't fly for seven years. So if I had a, a, 
if I had to go to New York for a meeting or LA, I'd just get in a car with a friend. We just drive straight 30 hours to New York, 22 to LA. And I did that a lot. And so obviously all the gigs you, 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 you drove anyways, cause you were, you know, that's what you drove buses to the gigs. Yeah. So finally I started date after seven years, I started dating a girl in New York and I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta get on a plane. Yeah. So I went to a therapist and he did some post-traumatic stress thing with me. Yep. And I mean, I, I was in there, he was like tapping me like this, you know, on both sides and repeating something. And I was like, man, this is some real bullshit. And uh, I got out of there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to book a flight after seven years. It was weird. I don't know how it worked, but it worked. Wow. And then I started flying. Now I fly all the Some real bullshit that worked, it sounds like. Yeah, it was. Awesome. So, so sing us a song about the plane crash, I guess. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't write a song about the plane crash, but I did write a song about that feeling of... Oh, the feeling of... The, like being okay. The relief. With, with that. Was the time in West Virginia when the cops showed up, when the shop blowed up? We didn't know what was going to happen. Mess the whole place up, try to kill my dad Took the money that I had and what was really bad Well, I couldn't do a damn thing to stop him Had to move to Mexico to get away You reap the seeds you sow, so they say Spent most nights hanging out at a place called the Rainbow Bar Drinking some bases all night long Singing Mexican love songs Getting words all wrong, not giving a damn then my luck might change Feeling crazy and acting strange Never worried about the danger I was in I've had a mighty bad run of luck Since you left town Sometimes you hit the brakes And you can't slow down Well I know what I want on my tombstone When they put me in the ground Tell me to ride it big and tall Or not at all Just put I'm good now Things only got worse. Fell in love with the nurse, smuggled drugs in her purse. She worked for Dr. Gonzalez. Turns out the doctor was a mighty mean man and couldn't understand things, but get out of hand. Well, he had to find out though. Tried to stop her one night. She pulled out a knife that was struggling. Then some went to the end. Well, she ran home, but he lay dying. Think about the things he'd done. Think about his life, the fun he'd had, the choices he'd made, and the roads he'd taken. Yeah, and he thought about his kids and all the crazy things he did. He wondered if anything at all in life really matters. When you're dying and the blood is spilling out over the ground. When you're lying there with no one to be found. The last thing he said, though, he hardly made a sound. And he spoke each word in Spanish because he couldn't speak no English. And he said, I'm good now. <laughs> that one you got down. Yeah. Yeah. You play that every night? No. No. You do you play any songs every like how many gigs a year? You do a, you play a lot of gigs. I play around 100 I average about 150 a year. That's a lot. Yeah. That's one out of well, three. Well, I mean, days. I do 50 of them 
One out of at one uh, out the of... Saxon Pub. I play, I play, I've been playing every Monday that I'm in town for 17 years at the Saxon Pub. Yeah. So that's that's 50. Just got did Saxon Cup Saxon Pub just got bought. Didn't uh Gary Keller buy the Saxon Pub? He may have. I think he did to to make sure it stays the Saxon Pub. Right. I think that's the deal. Yeah. I was kind of hoping I might be I might be a little off, but I I know he's doing that around town, which I think is amazing cuz yeah, yeah. you know, South Lamar people are just going, "Okay, what's going to be the next right condo complex and restaurant or whatever?" Yeah. So I I heard that it was going to be around mm. for a while. Longer. That's a good room. You Char- I've, I've seen Charlie there a few times. Charlie, Mar- our mutual buddy, Charlie Mars. Yeah, yeah. He fills. It, does he fill in for you when you can't? When you're on the road? Well, he lives in. You know, he lives he in, Mississippi, in Mississippi. So, uh, I. But it feels I, not like really. he's here so much. But he he comes here a lot. He does he's, well uh, in Austin. Yeah. 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 And so, if you play a hundred, so for the hundred that you're in San Francisco or in, in Nashville or wherever. I mean, you, you mix it up. You don't play the same, or no, no. I try. I try to make every song. I try to make every every night different. And I like. I'm writing new songs all the time. Yeah. So, uh, but there are a couple songs that I play a lot. I play the song Tarantula. Right. Every time the band plays, pretty much I play that song. Yeah. And I've been playing that song for twenty years. Hmm. Uh, and, and how there's, much there's do people like want to hear that? Want to hear you just play Lonely Land from you know start to finish? And is that frustrating? No, not at all. I mean, because uh, I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and I think if I just play, you just go I, Bob Dylan on that shit. Like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, my my thing has always been I've never wanted to be in a cover band. I don't even want to be in a Bob Schneider cover band. So if I'm not writing new songs and playing new songs, then I'm not going to play, just because it's not fun. But it's okay. Like if as long as I'm doing songs that I've written in the last few months, yep. as long as those are in the set then I'm fine with playing the old stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not like, you know, Radiohead where I'm not going to play Creep. I'll, I want to give the people what they want, but I'm going to have to play new songs. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I hope, you know, I really, you know, I write a lot of songs so that I can get enough good songs out of the songs that I write so that when I'm playing, I'm not just playing a bunch of BS. Because right. I think a lot of people, when they get older, they don't write as much, uh, you know, Life gets in the way, or they realize, oh, writing a song's not going to save me. Yeah. They have kids. That takes a lot yeah. of your time. They have families or whatever. So I make sure that I still spend a lot of time writing songs. I mean, I have to write 50 songs every year so that I can get four or five good ones yeah. uh, out of it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I'm playing some good songs when I'm playing the new songs. I'm not just playing a bunch of people. Who's your favorite singer-songwriter ever? Because well, you're a singer-songwriter, so like uh, this would be like your your... I mean, it's always, it's like Tom Waits and Randy Newman are probably my top two, but I love Paul Simon and you know the Beatles and Pink Floyd and all the you know the classics, the classic guys. I'm not a big Paul Simon fan. All my friends give me grief. I can't I can't do it. <laughs> I'm being nice right now. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, music's so weird because I may love you love something when you when you connect with something musically it's so personal and so unique yeah, to your thing and then when you play it for some you're like you know you have all this emotion and feeling behind it and you play it for somebody and they're like yeah i don't really get it. Yeah. it it's not working for me it's such a weird thing and could you you've written thousands of songs you told us that can you pick a song that is your that you think is the best song you ever wrote uh I mean, there's a few those songs like "Big Blue Sea" is a song that I'm real happy with, and a song called "2002." Those were both on "Lonely Land." Uh, 
But I mean, I really like that easy song that I just wrote. I uh, do too. You know, um, I'm not so, quite sure how that came out of a plane crash. The Mexican doctor doesn't. Speak. Oh no, that's all. I'm good now. I'm that, good. That, I'm good now. So oh, easy. Which, yeah, but but uh, yeah, I mean, I usually I kind of like. I mean, there's definitely some songs. Well, let's let's do one more. Like the, you're. I don't want you to do something from Lonely Land because you don't you don't want to do that. That's a Bob Schneider cover band. <laughs> but let's finish with with one of your best or what you not not what not what sold the most or was listened to the most or talked about the most or you made a video for, but something that you go, man, I love playing this song. All right, I'll write a song that I really like. I wish I was a baby bear. Sleeping in the brown Winter grass in April while the sun was going down I wish my shoes were empty And I was still in bed With you there beside me With your dreams inside your head I wish the world would do What I wanted to And I wish the wind would blow me Blow me back to you. This guitar is like really out of tune, but I'm just going to keep marching forward. You got it. I wish your mom was ugly and your dad was ugly too. Then they couldn't have had a girl to be as beautiful as you. I wish I was a tightrope walker with legs made out of gold. I'd hold you in my golden legs and never let you go. Wish the world would do what I wanted to. And I wish the wind would blow me, blow me back to you. Well, I wish I could see Jesus shining in the sky. And he could let me know. Everything would be all right. I wish I knew that God's love was all I'd ever need. I'd cut my candy teeth for fun and let the good times bleed. Oh, I wish the world would do what I wanted to. Wish the world would do what I wanted to. And I wish the wind would blow me me back to you boom see another one of these songs that all, every, all the guys are going dude <laughs> and all the girls listening are like honey <laughs> you never asked the blend the wind the blend the wind to, to, to be to blow me back to you uh. well it's kind of a play on the word blow, blow. no I, I got that part <laughs> I got that part no that's that's the way you think <laughs> I love it I love it. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think Poe had a song that was similar. Do you remember that? No. Chick named Poe? No. Singer-songwriter. She had a song that was similar where it was like a play on words like that. And I was like, oh, i got to write a song like that. Yeah. Man. Thank you. Thank you for doing this, Bob. Hey, thanks for having me. It was yeah, fun. By the way, I, I, if you say the guitar is out of tune, I would have, you know, my ears, not that, not that good, but I had no idea. And it was really out of tune. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Charlie Mars listening at home is going to be like, oh my God, it's out of tune, but no, yeah. nobody else knows. Yeah, well. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Yeah. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please, God knows I need suggestions, um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever, let me know. Send me an email. Send it to the Forward Podcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. The Forward Podcast at we do W-E-D-U Sport Singular.com. The Forward Podcast at we do sport.com. 